Just a heads up for our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners that the following episode may contain voices of deceased persons. How would you feel if your parents' remains were dug up from the ground and placed in a museum or university to be studied? That's what happened to hundreds of Indigenous communities all over Australia and the world. A huge repatriation effort has been ongoing for decades in an attempt to return those ancestors and sacred objects back to their homeland. In this episode of Think Digital Futures, we speak to two men who've helped develop a digital archive to support that movement. I'm Julia Karkatzel. For more than 150 years, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander ancestral remains and secret sacred objects were removed to museums, universities and private collections in Australia and overseas. Indigenous people were described as being lesser humans and worthy of collecting and disappearing in the face of colonialism. So therefore museums and scientists were out collecting Aboriginal people's old people's remains and also taking cultural material and putting it into museums as records of soon-to-become-extinct cultures. Steve Hemming is an associate professor at the Jambana Institute for Indigenous Education and Research at UTS. He says the mass removal of skeletal remains and cultural objects operated under the influence of colonialism and the colonial worldview. Museums started to, to um, arise with collections of um, plants, um, animals, but also Aboriginal peoples and their cult cultural materials, which was seen as part of what the Europeans described as the natural world. Europeans being at the top of the tree, the British male, white sort of person being at the very top, and um, everyone else below that with Indigenous peoples often being right at the bottom of the tree, if not off the tree. And scientists didn't just dig up skeletal remains from burial grounds. When Steve worked as a curator at the South Australia Museum back in the 80s, he started to hear employees refer to a particular black box. We started up an inquiry into that, that what was in the, in the box, and um, turned out that there were whole bodies of Aboriginal people in Formaland um, that had come into the museum and were likely to be have been co collected um, in inverted commas on the basis of ensuring that science had whole bodies of Aboriginal people from southern communities, particularly who were seen to be becoming extinct. Remains were taken for the purpose of racial science, with deep power imbalances between imperial powers and those they colonised. The kind of race science um, effort went, that went on was uh, a part of the kind of broader race paradigm, you know, the construction, the socially constructed idea of different races to understand, um, try to understand humanity um, and where humanity began, and in some cases uh, classify uh, certain races as outside of humanity uh, itself. This is Daryl Rigney. He's a Naranjiri man from South Australia. And he's also the director of the Indigenous Nations and Collaborative Futures Research Hub at Jambana. He says religion played a significant role in the movement. 
part of the idea around um, evolution and movement through various stages of um, civilization um, on according to some chart that's constructed by people um, largely out of Europe uh, is the movement from inferior species through to superior species and ultimately moving from um, the superior species into angels so that it was connected with religion uh, as well. And so you know, the, the, it's, it's important to understand that religion was connected with uh, the state, was connected with science, and those efforts came came together um, in a... Uh, in, in, um, in overseeing the removal um, and ransacking of Indigenous uh, people's remains from all over the world. Little attention was paid to gaining permission from or respecting the wishes of those whose relatives' graves were robbed. Steve says that that disregard for Aboriginal people was reflected in the social policies enacted on communities at the time. Up until the 1960s in Australia, you had people living under the, under the Act and having virtually no no say over their own lives. So the idea that the state and scientists could take um, the remains of, of people and old people was um, completely and utterly in the you know, control of, of the state. There was, there was no question. The coroner often had the power to um, take away the body once someone had passed away and put it into a museum collection. Um, and there was no challenge to that. That was the authority of the state over Indigenous people's lives. Well, the idea that it was just rogue individuals running around ransacking burial grounds, um, yes, that's part of the story, and individual and private collectors, um, but also, you know, it, it was systemic. It was state-sanctioned. Um, when you have um, coroners being able to access bodies, um, take those bodies, uh, remove them, send them to friends and colleagues and the scientific community in other parts of the world for study. Uh, it's a, it was a state-sanctioned system. I guess all of those racist and oppressive policies that were in, in place enabled um, science to do its job effectively. Um, and there was, no, there was no way anyone could resist that up until the 1970s and the 80s came along where you know, people had a chance to have a voice. During World War II and up until the 60s, Australia was focused on the assimilation of Aboriginal populations into the broader Australian community. But there was a shift during the late 60s and early 70s around Aboriginal self-determination. All across the country saw efforts to, to shift uh, and, and address the, the, the social issues and the racial discrimination um, that had occurred in relation to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population here. The white Australians just on 200 years to recognise us as a race of people. You can see this in lots of fields, education, health, um, law. It's come when Australia can no longer tolerate legal racial discrimination against its Indigenous people. And so the exercise of uh, Indigenous voice, First Nations voice in this country, um, begins to grow. Further declare that reconciliation and the renewal of the nation can be achieved only through a people's movement.
Aboriginal people made their voices heard. And one of the issues they put forward was the need for mass repatriation. Um, the old people, as we describe them in my community, Ngunnawal, the removal of our old people uh, and the need to return those old people back to country. In Australia, in the 80s, um, Aboriginal people coming to museums and, and um, demanding to have you know, repatriation um, start to occur of uh, human remains, as it was called, or old people and secret sacred material were the two big issues. It started with a few organisations, including the Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre and the Foundation for Aboriginal and Islander Research Action. The groups undertook early campaigns to raise awareness of the issue in Australia and Europe. That then led to a collaboration between legal organisations and Indigenous heritage committees. There were about three or four or five who really pushed it, and I think people who started to do that work started to meet up with other Indigenous people. And there was a collective, I guess, that developed um, around the world, really, of Indigenous people. And the museums started to listen to their demands. So there's a lot of pressure on museums to start to move on these issues. So museums started to develop policies, which they didn't have in the past, with the idea of, of return. And then at a sort of a national level, national policy started to develop. But what exactly were their demands? Darrell says in Nurunjeri Nation, it's all about connection between the living, the dead and the land. The way we understand ourselves um, is that we um, speak as country. That is, we are country. And so the removal of uh, old people from place and from country disrupts um, Ngunnawal people and disrupts uh, the relationship that that Ngunnawal old person has with uh, their country because they are country. And so, in a, in a, in a sense, the idea of um, the need to reclaim our old people, have them repatriated back um, to place uh, is really important because it returns their spirits to the place that they were taken from or their country. Darrell says disturbing the resting of spirits is considered dangerous, leading to sickness and ill health for people and the environment. And, um, you know, I would go uh, on to say that that's actually Ngunnawal law. The idea is that we need to bring those old people back to country for their spirits to be able to rest. But Darrell says the reburial process is not a straightforward one. And this new thing that we have to deal with in a contemporary sense of reburials um, means that, you know, we also need to think carefully about what does that mean in terms of ceremony? Uh, and the Lord, do we, uh, do we need to have new ceremony as a part of a reburial process? Because it's, um, it's a different activity from the initial reburial process. Reburials and traditional ceremonies are an important part of healing and reconciliation, but they can also bring up old trauma. So it's a big challenge for, for communities and nations to tackle it because it's, it's traumatic. It's, um, it's really confronting the whole history and a lot of people aren't aware of it. So it's a sort of a second wave of the effect of the first desecration. Bringing back sets up a whole set of new opportunities for desecration and damage. While there is some federal support for repatriation in Australia, reburial ceremonies are under-resourced meaning communities are left with a huge task. 
it just sounds like it's a simple exercise. Yeah, repatriate, rebury, and done. You know, um, it's much more complex than that. It's much more dynamic than that. Um, lots of questions about who can speak for the ancestors, who can speak for the dead, who has the cultural authority to speak, where can you rebury if you're you know, lucky enough to have been able to repatriate, um, you know, what kind of land tenure is, uh, is out there, can you rebury as close to the place when the old people were removed from as you possibly can or where their country is. Um, is that land now uh, available for reburial or is it uh, sitting on someone's freehold title property? Um, is it crown land? You know, there are so many decisions and things that you need to work through, but also at the same time, um, very rewarding and, uh, and um, bringing well-being to community through the process. So it's in that struggle that you get both sides of that. Daryl and Steve have helped the repatriation effort by establishing their own digital database, the result of almost a decade of research. Funded by the Australian Resource Council, the Return, Reconcile and Renew Digital Archive aims to understand the opportunities for repatriation and share an evidence base for future work. It's split into three sections, one with resources for the public, one for researchers, and one solely for Indigenous people. So all of the relevant information associated with old people, burial grounds and other detailed information goes into that section and is controlled and only accessible to those nations. The database contains all the information anyone could need for successful repatriation. So this old person, where were they taken from? This place, how many people were there? This, this number of people, why were they taken? It was taken by an archaeologist or a police officer. Um, where did they go? Who took them? Here's a photograph of the person who took them. Here's the museum where they, where, where they went. Was anything done to them? Um, how much more do we know about them and their relations to other community members? Um, are there burial grounds close by that we might have to consider, you know, reburying in? So all the information that people need to make decisions. The database contains everything from newspaper articles, recently old newspaper articles, museum registers, museum correspondence, um, film material, um, interviews, both oral history style conversations. I heard about all these remains, you know, and we're still looking where Saola Kuni and the remain. One day, you know, we like to know that what the Kunian remain probably held somewhere, you know? you know? Probably been taken a long time ago, yeah. Um, diaries of researchers. Uh, Letters between uh, researchers. Maps, early maps, recent maps, photographs of burial places for reburial just for the nations themselves. And it's been well received by the community. The, the community members being able to talk um, with elders and others and be recorded was a really important part of, um, of the healing process as well and having voice. So there's also an element of this, this project is giving voice to people as well. So the kind of governance work um, and the giving voice and political authority and indeed jurisdiction to those um, in Indigenous nations um, is central to the work that we do more broadly, but it absolutely is located in the repatriation space. 
when when you hear hear communities saying, "Hey, this is going to be helpful to us, and this is how we think it's going to be helpful and it's useful," you know, for us, that's kind of why you do this work. They belong to the story of this country, and that they need to be treated with the absolute respect. In their last months of funding, the UTS researchers are working to preserve the database for future generations. The ongoing challenge, you know, like with any funded project, there's a there's an endpoint, and so what we've wanted to make sure we can do is continue to have uh, governance over the the archive continue, and um, as outlined earlier, uh, a governance mechanism has been developed and a framework for doing this, but also to ensure that ongoing curatorship of the the archive can occur. occur. An Indigenous repatriation guide has also been set up for those who are continuing the work in the future. Um, For those communities who may be entering and for the first time, um, pro forma letters that you could use to um, approach an institution, um, practical guides around, have you read the the relevant institution's repatriation policy? Do they have a policy? Just simple um, things like that that kind of uh, are designed to be supportive of any um, community or nation that wants to uh, do some work in repatriation. As their project nears its end, Daryl and Steve say there's a lot more to be done to promote healing and reconciliation with Indigenous people in Australia. So a lot of Australian museums still hold a lot of human remains, a lot of sacred material. For instance, the South Australian Museum still has approximately a thousand Ngarindjuri old people somewhere in that vicinity. It's been a tough long haul for Indigenous leaders to actually challenge challenge those powers of science and colonialism and institutions and um, start to turn that uh, story around so that repatriation has really started to happen a lot in the last little while, but not all countries are involved in doing that. So I think fundamentally in, you know, in relation to repatriation is that Whatever gets done in, in the repatriation space and in the reburial space, it, it has to be uh, has to change colonising relationships, such that you get a far more respectful relationship that occurs. And if if we can't do that in a in an area where we're you know, where the, the focus is on the ancestors, um, the old people, the dead of a, of a of a nation um, where there isn't the opportunity to have decision making over those old people um, in ways that are culturally grounded and respectful of those um, old old people's country and the law that comes from that country um, and their part as country, then you know, we've got a long way to go if we can't get it right in this space. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the community radio network. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. 
You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julia Karkatzel. Thanks for your company. Thank you.